if you would again, uh, take out your Bibles and turn for our New Testament reading to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, our uh, study today is going to be in verses 7 through 13, uh, but for just for the sake of context, I'm going to start reading at verse 1 uh, through verse 13. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through verse 13. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. You may be seated. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now, God, that you would help us be attentive to the preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear. We pray for this, your servant, that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart may be your truth. That as the sense of what is written here is explained, that it would be rightly understood and rightly divided. We pray that through all this, Jesus is glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's wisdom is made known through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's wisdom is made known through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's eternal decree was for the salvation of His particular people, and this was accomplished in the Son, and was applied to the sinner by the Holy Spirit. Included in this plan of salvation was the provision that the Son of God would pay sin's penalty at the cross. Now to those who are perishing, this 
the fact that the Son of God went to the cross, this doesn't sound like wisdom. To those who are perishing, this is folly. It's foolishness. To the ears of the world, this plan does not seem like a very good plan. In fact, one might wonder, well, couldn't God have saved people some other way? I mean, after all, if God loves the world, couldn't He just forgive everyone instantaneously? Was the cross of Christ really all that necessary? But when we are confronted with the fullness of the gospel, we are confronted with the character of God, which along with love includes, among other things, Justice, righteousness, holiness, goodness, truth. In the cross of Christ, the eternal purposes of God are realized and His people are blessed with great riches. And so we are the beneficiaries of God's marvelous grace. And we stand astounded and are therefore driven to worship Him. This, dear congregation, is what the Gospel ought to do. To drive us to our knees and worship the God who saves. Now, if the book of Acts is a study in the history of the church, then Ephesians is a study in the theology of the church. And so as we continue in this study of Ephesians, we have learned about our union with Christ. That is, that those who were dead in their trespasses and sins have been made alive and have been united to their Savior, Jesus Christ. We've seen that salvation is by grace through faith. And the believer has been raised up with Christ and is seated with Him in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that. By grace we are saved through faith, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2 9. Now all of this saving and transforming work makes us to be the workmanship of God. We are made new creatures in Christ. We were, as it were, born again. Thus are united to Him as members of the household of God. Being built together into one house. The apostles and prophets being the foundation and Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. All those who are in Christ are saved, and those who are saved are in Christ and are united to our Savior. And because we are united to our Savior, having been built together into one body, we are also united together as the people of God. You and I have been made a new people. The stranger, the alien, Those who were far off have been brought near. The rebel has been made a son. The blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for the sins of every race, that is, all those who trust and rest on Him alone. And so now we come in chapter 3, Paul introduced to us a mystery. And this is what we had looked at last week in the first six verses. 
So although there are many things about God and His plans which have not been revealed to us, and of course the Bible is not an exhaustive look into the mind of God. God has revealed to us what God wanted us to know. God is infinite, right? If God were to reveal everything to us, it would be an infinite book. You would never get done reading it. Ever. It's not exhaustive. But what, but there, so there's lots of things God has not revealed. But there is one specific thing Paul mentions, which is God has chosen to reveal. And that is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This mystery, which had been hidden in some sense to previous generations, has now been revealed. The Messiah had come through the Jewish nation, but Jesus had come to save members of all the nations by faith. All the nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages are able to share in the promises of God in Christ by faith in Him. This is glorious. This is wonderful news. And so as Paul considers this, he also wants the Ephesians to understand that this is the reason that he had been called to be an apostle. He was called to preach this gospel and to proclaim the wisdom of God and the riches of Jesus Christ. And he did this, he was called to do this to all people. To proclaim the salvation which is found only in faith in Jesus. And so this is where we are picking things up in verse 7 where he says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister. See, it was for this gospel, it was for this truth, this good news, the good news of salvation for all those who trust and rest in Jesus Christ, it was for this that he was made a minister of the gospel. Now, a gospel minister is one whose chief concern is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is one who has been called and set apart specifically for this labor. This is his work. This is the duty of which he has devoted himself to. And so Paul was made a minister of the gospel, he said, according to the gift of God's grace. Which is to say, Paul didn't seek it, he didn't demand for it, he hadn't earned it. In fact, he didn't really even want it. It was a gift. This work, this labor of the gospel was a gift to him and was given by the working of his, that is, God's power. It's a gift given by God, by God's power. God's grace allows men to preach his gospel. It is a privilege to proclaim God's word, and this is only accomplished through the wondrous power of God. In other words, Paul's very vocation as an apostle and as a gospel minister was a gift. It was a gift given to him by God. You see, in some sense, it would have been enough that God had saved him from his sins. In that sense, Paul would have been satisfied when he was met in Damascus and was saved and were great. But God was also pleased to call him to preach. 
This one who considered himself to be the least, this former blasphemer and persecutor of the church, was now called a minister of Christ. This really is a wonderful display of the grace of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. This gift was given by the working of God's power. And by the way, this is not only true for the Apostle, but this is true for all those who are called by God to the gospel task. Not all are called in this way, but for those who are, those who are called to be ministers of the gospel, we must understand that this is the power of God working through broken vessels. I said this during Sunday school, in preaching the gospel, I may as well be sitting out there with you. I'm a broken vessel in need of God's grace, just as much as you. In a very real sense, when the gospel is preached from my lips, I'm listening along, needy with you. The call to preach the gospel is a gift from God. Paul hadn't sought to be an apostle. He hadn't sought to be a gospel minister. In fact, as was already said, he was formerly a blasphemer. He was a hater of God. And God had worked powerfully in transforming him into a follower of Jesus, but not only that, as a minister of the gospel. The demonstration of God's power then was not just in the blinding light. You remember the story when Paul was on the road to Damascus. And there was a blinding light and a a fearful voice as God spoke to him. He was visited by the risen Christ. But the demonstration of God's power isn't only found in that. It was not that the circumstances themselves demonstrate God's power necessarily. The most incredible aspect of Paul's conversion, which highlights God's power, is the same aspect for you and me. That is, the eternal, internal change which took place in his heart, and your heart, and in my heart. That's the amazing aspect. God transforming the heart of sinners like you and me. The incredible demonstration of God's power is seen in the hearts of men and women who go from death to life. From rebels to sons and heirs of the promise. The salvation of souls the regeneration of hearts, the change of a person from darkness to light is the supreme display of the power and wisdom of the living God. And if you're a Christian, then you yourself have too experienced the power and wisdom of God in your own life. Now Paul had tremendous insights into the mystery of Christ. This is a gift given to him from God. Nevertheless, he also considered himself to be of little consequence. Look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The gift that he was given was the duty to preach. He was to preach the word of God to the saints, though he considered himself to be the least of all the saints. Now, at this point, I should should point out to you very quickly that the word saints here 
is not referring to the other apostles, at least exclusively. Nor is it referring to some sort of you know, special class of super-Christians which have been approved by you know, like a pope or a council or something. That's not what this means. No, saints refers simply to the people of God. You and I are called saints. So Paul is not merely saying he's the least of the apostles. Literally, he says, he is less than the least of all Christians. All the people that he's proclaimed the gospel to have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, find the one that's the least. I'm less than that guy. That's how he saw himself. He counted himself so low that he was less than any who may believe. And yet God was gracious to allow him to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul saw himself as the least, not merely because he was a sinner, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but because he had been a persecutor of the church. This was a fact of his life which was a shame on him in one hand. It was to his own shame on one hand, but on the other hand was a source of great humility and joy as he saw in his own life the demonstration of God's grace and power in Christ as he, as he sees where he was as a persecutor of the church and where God had transformed him into a follower of Jesus, the proclaimer of the gospel. Paul had the privilege of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, resources beyond measure and understanding. And he was used of God to proclaim to the world the plan of God, which had been hidden for ages. Verse 9. God's design had been brought to light for all to see. This is what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming what, what God had, had brought forth. He's bringing all this to light. Now, when something is brought to light, it's exposed. Right? If you were in a dark room and you turn on the light, all of a sudden you see everything that's around you. This is what he's talking about. The world, everyone in the world needs to see the plan of God, which previously had been obscured. What once had been hidden in the dark, as it were, has now been brought out into the God's marvelous light. God's plan of salvation can be known. God's plan from before all time was to save people, Jew and Gentile alike, by the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. And now we get to proclaim that to all the nations. And Paul's gospel ministry was to proclaim this plan of redemption. This is the gospel that we proclaim. To make known that which had long been concealed. The God who planned out and then created all things is also the God who planned out and then saved a people to himself. The things that God has set forth to do, he did and is doing. So Paul is continuing to give us then a basis for his ministry to the Gentiles. He has given the gift of salvation and the ministry of God's grace And God was using him as an instrument to bring uh, his plan to light, to to show the world this is what God is doing. And the purpose of this 
God's having worked through the Jews, but now also bringing salvation to the Gentiles and making them full heirs with Christ in the church is, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is the reason for this. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. You see, the church does not exist just for itself. It exists for the glory of God. This is why the church exists. When the angels in heaven behold the works of God, how He had worked through the patriarchs and the prophets, how He had sent His only begotten Son into the world as the Redeemer of God's elect, when they behold the manifold wisdom of God on display, God's tremendous wisdom is displayed in the ministry of the church. Because we proclaim this gospel. Here's how theologian Charles Hodge puts it. In his commentary on Ephesians, quote, The Bible clearly teaches not only that the angels take a deep interest in the work of redemption, but that their knowledge and blessedness are increased by the exhibition of the glory of God in the salvation of men. End quote. In other words, the angels in heaven, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, when they look on these things, when they see display the manifold wisdom of God in the preaching of the gospel, they, they wonder, wow, God is amazing. Even the, even the angels are amazed. They're filled with, with wonder. They behold the works of God and they say, Ah, this, this is true wisdom. They behold the works of God and say, Ah, this is love, true love. They they, They come to a better understanding, even the angels come to a better understanding of God's character as demonstrated and displayed through the gospel. The heavenly creatures have greater insights into the wisdom and the power of God by this previously hidden plan having now been brought to light. The church, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, is now a display of the manifold wisdom of God and all of God's divine perfections. The church displays God in His glory. And if that were, if it were, um, if through the church that God has designed to manifest to the heavenly beings His infinite power, grace, wisdom, and truth, then the church and His and her glory must be most glorious of His works. We're we're displaying the glory of God. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel. The appointed means to this glorious work is to be regarded as a most spectacular task. Both the proclamation of it and the hearing of it. There's a reason that the preaching of the word is so so much at the center of reformed worship. The reformers understood, and we do too, the importance of the preaching of the word. This is why, by the way, Paul was so so humbled by this gift given to him, the duty of proclaiming Christ 
particularly as he recognized that he who had been the least was given tremendous grace upon grace. Salvation, grace, grace of salvation, the grace of proclaiming these truths. What a privilege it is for us to share the gospel. All of this, this display of the wisdom of God in Christ, all of these things were part of God's eternal purposes, which were realized in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God had determined for things to go exactly as they went. There is nothing which escapes God's notice. There is nothing which is accidental. The purposes of God was to redeem His children through the death and resurrection of the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, in whom we, verse 12, have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. You see, because you and I have free access to God, we can go boldly into the Holy of Holies. We can go into the presence of God, as it were. We can go into His very throne room because of faith in Him. Now why would Paul speak of boldness and access with confidence? Why do we, why, why, why do we need to have this kind of boldness? Why, why is it necessary? Well, because the sinners such as you and I are, we would otherwise have no access to God. You know, as sinners, we, we have no business being in God's throne room. Those who have been stained by sin cannot find themselves in the very presence of God without it being as Isaiah says. When, he was, when Isaiah was in the very throne room of God, when he heard the seraph calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What does he say? He declares, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah found himself in the very presence of God, he was completely undone. Kill me now. I am done. The sinner in the, 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 sinner in the presence of the Holy God will be destroyed. But Christ has purchased for us, even the most vilest of sinners, salvation cross. He has given to us by His blood His own righteousness, and He has taken upon Himself our sin. And so we have been made clean, and we are then enabled to approach the infinitely holy God who is a consuming fire with boldness and without fear. Because of Jesus. And listen, nothing short of an infinite Savior could accomplish this redemption. This is why Jesus, this is why the necessity of Jesus being fully God and fully man. By faith in Jesus Christ, our infinite Savior and Redeemer, you and I can have free and full access to God with confidence, knowing that we will be accepted in His presence because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Because when God the Father looks at us, when He looks 
at those of us in Jesus Christ. He sees His Son in whom He is well pleased. This is why we can be bold. This is why we can have confidence in coming before God in prayer and in worship. Because we are accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And His righteousness. But what this also means is that those who are outside of Christ, those who are not united to Jesus, are not trusting and resting on Him alone for their salvation. They are outside of the kingdom. For them, they cannot be accepted. They cannot come into the presence of a holy God. The unredeemed sinner could not hope to survive a meeting with a holy God. This is why, beloved, we must urge the world to repent and believe in Christ Jesus. For the day will come when all will appear before the judgment seat of God. But the good news for the Christian, and this is the good news that we proclaim, is is that Christ has opened the way for His people. His righteousness has granted us access to the Heavenly Father. And so because these things are true, Paul encourages the Ephesians not to lose heart. Look at verse 13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. You see, you have to keep in mind that Paul at this point in his ministry was a prisoner of the the state. He was undergoing great suffering. And the church in Ephesus undoubtedly was worried about him. They loved him. After all, Paul was the one who had brought the gospel to the Ephesians many, many years prior. But because we have access to God and all that is good from Him, we can rise above life's afflictions. This is what Paul is encouraging. He implores the church, don't lose heart. Things are hard. I'm suffering. But don't lose heart. Because we are redeemed of God. We have access to the very throne room of God. We have His grace. Don't lose heart. And since this is the case, we ought not be discouraged by adverse circumstances in our own life. Our redemption ought to make us bold in the face of difficulties, even bold in the face of death. Now, it's not that we aren't concerned about the issues around us or the sufferings that we experience or the sufferings others experience. It's not that we don't mourn or weep over illness and hardship and death. We do. It's not even that we don't experience discouragement or doubt or fear or sadness. We will. And there's no sin in doubting or fearing or being sad. We're human. We ought to feel the griefs of this world, but we do not have to be consumed by them. Suffering is a part of the curse of this world. You and I will suffer. You and I will die. Our brothers and sisters in the faith will suffer, and we will be grieved with them. But we aren't consumed with our grief because we have full access. We have full access to our Heavenly Father in His throne room by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we don't need to be consumed by our grief. 
This is why Paul says that they can be encouraged and be bold. Because we can bring our trials, and we can bring our fears, and we can bring our discouragements, and we can bring our heartache before God's throne of grace. We can do so with boldness. We can bring our fears and discouragements over this present world. We can bring our discouragements and fears over COVID or cancer before God's throne of grace. Knowing that He is our Heavenly Father who hears us, who loves us, and is doing that which will bring supreme glory to Himself and for our good. And so therefore, Paul reminds the Ephesians, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart over what I suffer. Because what I suffer is for your glory, he says. The afflictions which Paul faced were for their good. Instead of suffering being a ground for discouragement, they are to be a glory to you. But how can this be? How could Paul's sufferings be for good? Because it was for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And for that, he was greatly comforted. Particularly as he was able to bring them before the Lord. When you and I suffer, we too can be comforted in the knowledge that we have a Heavenly Father who cares deeply for His children. So that though the weight of affliction here in this world may be heavy and difficult, it pales in comparison to the weight of glory which is to come. Because our hope is in Christ. For we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. Things which are seen are transient, the things which are unseen are eternal. Therefore, since we are to have an eternal perspective, we are also to be a people of hope. We don't need to be consumed with our griefs. It's not that we don't have griefs. We don't need to be consumed by them. When we suffer, may we suffer with the glory of Jesus Christ in mind. May we consider how we have been impacted by the good news that God has redeemed sinners such as you and me. And may the manifold wisdom and power of God be on display through the church and through our very lives as we grow and mature in godliness. And may our lives be a proclamation of God's goodness and wisdom to a watching world which so desperately needs salvation and transformation. And this is accomplished not because we work at self-improvement, but because we rest at the feet of our faithful Savior, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who grants to us the boldness to come into the very throne room of God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the unsearchable riches which are ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that the way has been opened to us 
That we can, we, have bold, we can come with boldness, with full access and with confidence before your very presence. But Father, we find ourselves at times losing heart. We find that as we're faced with the trials and difficulties and sufferings of this present world, we shirk back. Father, help us not be consumed by the things of this world. Help our minds to be transformed more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you that you call us sons. That we are beloved children. We thank you that you delight to invite us into your very presence. That you delight to save sinners such as us. Encourage us, we pray, and help us to be an encouragement to one another as we remind one another of these truths that we can come boldly before you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.